Hello and welcome to Human Nurture. I'm your host, Jason Brand. And this season, we're asking the question, how does a couples therapist learn to do that? So while this is clinical material being discussed, it doesn't mean that this podcast is a substitute for clinical advice and or counseling. Please, if you're seeking help, please go to the appropriate resources. This is only here for education, entertainment, and information. Today, we're asking the question, how does a couples therapist learn how to know when issues of race and gender need to be addressed in couples therapy. In this episode, I've got my colleague John Guy along with me to reflect on the Ron and Shakir initial couple clinical interview. John Hale is out of Seattle, and he has a private practice seeing couples. He has a background in facilitating groups focused on race and gender, and he's a practicing Buddhist. I called on John because I was looking for someone who is both a PAC-trained therapist and could help me think about issues of race and gender in couples therapy. So John really delivers on those two fronts. And he made a number of comments in this interview that are gems of perspective on couples therapy and just being a good human being that keep popping into my mind as I go about my days since we spoke. So take a listen, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, let me know what you think at jason at jasonbrand.com. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Human Nurture Podcast. It's my pleasure to introduce John Guy to the show. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks, Jason. Um, I'm hoping that we can make good use of our time today. Uh, I'm wanting to get your take on the couple interview that I did with Ron and Shakir, uh, hoping to get both your clinical observations. And I'm also to, hoping to ask you about the interview from the perspective of race and gender, a white therapist from Berkeley talking to a black couple from Alabama. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the interview, the question of gender with Sh- uh, Shakir came up. And so I'm hoping to look at those both from the perspective of a therapist working with different culture and different race um, and gender issues that might come up, Um, and also just observations that you had possibly about me and what you saw in the interview about my interactions with with the couple. Um, So we have an ambitious agenda, and I'm I'm super glad I got you here, and I'm just hoping we can start with some broad stroke. For you, John, what what stood out for you in the interview? I definitely really heard them loud and clear about how, you know, they do not feel like a couple, especially on Shakir's end and their illustration of how that feels to them, what it looks like in the space. And it really, that really stood out to me. One of the the main things that I saw was little kind of just telltale signs of the ways that they're showing up that are not very couple-like even in the in the conversation there. And I'll say, I sometimes wonder about this, you know, during my consults with other therapists and what other therapists are seeing too. You know, certain ways that um, one person will talk about the other. <laughs> I think we kind of call it, like I sometimes wonder about throwing the other person under the bus a little bit, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And then I wondered a, a bit about behind the scenes, you know, and I think you brought this up, but just how, how are they being a couple? I think you, you mentioned that with regards to, you know, suggesting that they they put each other to bed and and wake up with each other. So a lot of that stood out to me. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking about as you're talking about Shakir saying there is no us. The fact that they were in the room together, I think was an accomplishment. You know, I mean, just just for them, I mean, they talked about how challenging it is to, to be yeah. together. And it seemed like the the 
the big challenge after getting them together in the room was to actually get them to engage together because a lot of the session I felt like, you know, I mean, I think the, the metaphor started to become um, that they were on different channels. It seemed very clear to me throughout the session. That's, that's where my mind went immediately was like, how do, how can we, how can we kind of start percolating that feeling of togetherness in other ways? And, and I don't know about you, but I noticed this with many of my couples is one person saying they feel like they're doing all the work, mm -hmm. you know, this telltale sign of, you know, the other person being like, well, I, I kind of was just X, Y, and Z. And so this whole, this whole theme with couples of one person thinking a little bit less about the other person than the other one does mm -hmm. <laughs> and how to kind of inculcate that. I mean, if I, I always tend to try to come up with either ways endemic to the couple to help them work with that or, or just creative ways to do it. And one of the things that came up for me was this notion of just putting a little, how's my partner doing? I think I, I imagine that Shakir probably does this naturally more often than Ron. And so day to day, moment by moment, creating a, a habit, you know, I would want to invite Ron to maybe like, how's Shakir inwardly? Not even, mm -hmm. he might not even choose to say something, you know, maybe he did five minutes ago or an hour ago or something, but to, to start to cultivate that as an inner discipline of a uh -huh. sort, you know, how's Shakir? And, and especially before, a request or an invitation of some kind to literally kind of make an inner space for her in him mm -hmm. as his day goes by, you know, during a commercial for the game or something like mm -hmm. inwardly. So it was, that was mm -hmm. one of my first thoughts that came up. There was that interesting idea that they proposed. I mean, so Ron is, I want communication, communicate yeah. with me, communicate with me. And mm -hmm. Shakir says, Basically, I want you to think about what's going on inside of me. And, and this, this comes up for me. I just want to say, because um, I'm somebody that's tried to experientially put my place where I'm working with gender a lot. Like I've done some facilitation in that, that regard. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a conversation with some friends that also think about this a lot. And we were, me and one other woman and, and a guy, a guy friend of mine, were talking about this. And we're like, you know, like when guys are with other guys, I don't think we really care about or think about each other's feelings. It's one of the things that makes it easy for us when we're interacting with each other. But I think we carry it as a habit then into our other relationships. And sometimes we have to kind of unlearn or learn new skills about, oh yeah, my impact, the impact of what I'm saying or doing on this other person. And I, I think maybe there's a little bit of a fine tuning for us cishet guys, you know. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And from Ron's perspective, I mean, just to play with this a little bit, you know, that a conversation about a bike from his perspective mm -hmm. can become about lots of other things, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes about mom, mom's passing. It becomes about ex-wife. It becomes mm -hmm. about him not listening to her and not thinking about her. And so just to kind of level things out here, I could see he'd be reluctant to bring things up because he doesn't know the kind of dominoes that are going to fall yeah. After they come up. Yeah. And yet, and yet, um, I think that that becomes less of a challenge, the more on the same page they get about what's going on internally. So, so it stands to benefit them both, right? If each of them is really thinking about the other's inner life. So 
from day to day, you actually have a better idea of what's going on with them. Then, then it's not a surprise going forward. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a minefield, so to speak, to just bring up something because you kind of know better where they're at. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did have trouble finding a way in with Ron about why it would be of value for him to start getting curious about what's going on in Shakir's mind. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. trouble finding that sort of, you know, and I think, I think I went a little too deep too fast was my sense. I mean, that I, that I, you know, I started talking about, you know, maybe he's lonely and I started putting these big feelings on it. And he basically said, you know, no, you know, this is not that, this is, this is not that deep. It's, it's more a matter of, I just need communication. I need feedback, but it was hard for me to kind of find a way in with him that we were fighting for the same thing, which was, Hey, you want this to get better for Shakir. Yeah. And I'm familiar with that. Um, I don't think you went too far too fast with it at all. I feel like we're always kind of dropping hints and allegations, so to speak, as we start the, the start the therapy and, and continue into it. I find myself often kind of hearkening back. Remember in that other session when we said, or I mentioned, or you said, you know, so mm-hmm. for me, that's the, the, you know, dropping hints and clues. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I, I also, I also, I, I always hesitate to speak for black folks as a monolith because we are not a monolith. However, I feel like I've spoken to enough people, both of African-American descent and African descent. I have a lot of clients from all over the place. And there seems to be this common theme in, in black families, in my experience, where <laughs> I'm thinking of one client who said to me, you know, mom never actually says it to me, but I know she loves me. Right? Like, like. Mm of like the, the referencing of inner emotions and re- revelation of inner emotions to each other. I mean, it happens, I think. It's, it's not as mm-hmm. if it doesn't have every family is different, but, but I think um, I, I experienced this theme where it's a little bit harder to get us to talk about it in that way, unless the couple I'm thinking of, yet a different couple that I have, black couple that's like, they want to go there. And so they're they're willing to crack that open, but I think it takes it takes a bit of time. Because uh, I'm a therapist from Berkeley. This is a very kind of for better and for worse, touchy feely kind of place. So I do wonder if I should have done a better job at sort of saying, okay, so what are you guys wanting around feelings, around mm. um, how you relate to each other? Do, do you do you think that would have been a better thing to make explicit early on? I do think it could be useful. I, I guess I I guess I share a little bit of the assumption that, you know, the therapy room is a bit, can be a touchy feeling place. I feel like that's exactly what makes people hesitate about it, you know, but I also, I also think that every couple has its norm. So for me, it's always a blending of an invitation on my part to the couple to increase vulnerability. I I like to call it (laughs) self-revelation to the, to Mm -hmm. their partner, you know, while at the same time starting where they are and moving with them as they are. And and I mean, this is close to the beginning, right? This this work that you've done, this, this particular session that we've watched, right? Yeah, yeah, that's important to clarify. So I met with them maybe for 10 minutes on the phone and ahead of time. I really wanted it to be more fresh in the interview so that I didn't, I wasn't dealing, you know, I didn't have 
a lot of information. This is really the first time that we've sat down in a context of, okay, we're doing a therapy session here. Mm -hmm. um, and so what are you getting at there? That I, I mean, I think you're, you together, the three of you are still setting those norms and, you know, wow. how are we going to talk here? What is our culture going to be together as a working unit? I really like that idea. And I've been thinking a lot about that. You just brought up it's creating a culture, the three of you creating a culture. What are you imagining happens mm -hmm. in, in creating a culture? Huh. I'm just thinking of all the couples I work with and I feel like there is a process that I engage in of, you know, just setting expectations, but it's also in part just the, the mixing of my personality and the couple's personality. I experience myself really learning who they are as people together and then defining with them, what are the ways each of you is going to need to grow in order to get what you want out of your relationship together? And what will that look like here in the room? And so sometimes it, well, the culture in the room for me feels different with different couples so that some couples, I feel like we're much more, you know, we talk about top down and bottom up interventions, you know, I'll do what I need to do regardless of which way the couple leans. But I feel some couples are much more kind of cerebral and in their heads and some are much more heart centered and in their bodies or however you want to think of it. I'm, a, I'm pretty adaptable to that. So the culture will look more or less warm. I'm literally thinking of like blue and cool or red and warm with different couples, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'll make that apparent. And, you know, I've had couples where things are really soft and maybe this changes from session to session as well, but, but some couples, I guess I think of as more soft and gooey <laughs> and other couples are more, you know, like, like cool um, clay or stone or something mm -hmm. like that. So uh -huh. I'll, I'll talk about that in our sessions, make it visible, make the invisible visible to some extent. Yeah. And I'm sure you've done some thinking about how your, how your particular background and who you are as a clinician has an impact on the culture. Because I'm going to do your bio at the beginning and all that stuff, but can you just kind of give a little bit of background on on who you are, kind of what makes you tick as a therapist a little bit? Well, yeah. Uh, so I'm the son of parents from, I want to say two generations back, which is significant for me because um, I'm the youngest by eight, at least eight years in my family. So my parents, my father was born in 37. So he's born under segregation, right? Um, he's about 86 and my mother, she's passed away, but she's, she's, she was 66 when she passed away. And so I feel like my parents are from a more traditional generation from Cleveland and from St. Louis. And I come at this, I think from, you know, from a, from a background of maybe a little bit more traditional framework. And, and as I was working or not working with, it's funny because, you know, when I watch this video, I feel like I'm sitting in the seat myself, even though I'm working <laughs> That's great. Um, uh -huh. but, um, with Ron and Shakir and especially for a family from the South, I kind of feel like I, I think traditional. And, and so uh, that's kind of where my heart goes, but I came at this work from a perspective of, I, you know, for lack of a better term, I do a lot of group facilitation and the idea of couples work and the challenges that I experience that I've experienced personally in my life as a person in relationships with people was just really deliciously interesting and sitting down with a tiny, tiny group where the engine for transformation was love. 
was a mm -hmm. really inspiring thing to be drawn to and to work with people who are motivated from that that place with your partner right across from you. I think I enjoy trying to call out the best in each person in the name of love, mm. <laughs> literally, mm -hmm. for this person, for their beloved is, it's, 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 it's a nectar. It's a beautiful mm. nectar. And um, when it can come out, when we can draw it out. And so I think that's what, that's what's drawn me into the work. Do you have any questions for me about, particularly with Ron and Shakir about, or any observations of me in the room or moments that you thought were more or less effective. I'm happy to also talk about sort of my biography and how that plays into, you know, kind of what you saw in that interview. You know, when I watched the interview, I thought you were effective, you know, again, because I feel like, you know, as a group dynamic person, I think of the beginning as the beginning of being a group together and how you're going to work. So I thought you were really effective. I thought you, I thought the most important thing to me from a, from a, I guess, a diversity perspective is that I experienced you as very, very human. And I say that it sounds basic, I think, but, but to me, the experience that I've had and that I hear from at least the black clients I work with as recently as last Thursday, when I did a consult with a, a new client is, you know, this feeling of something feeling awkward or off when they're in the room with a therapist from, you know, that mainstream background or, or a white therapist. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I did not experience you as, as off in any ways and you felt mm -hmm. natural and human. And I think that confers dignity on the folks you're working with. And so, mm -hmm. so for me, it, it felt pretty natural. The thing is that this stuff always happens on multiple levels, you know, intrapersonal, interpersonal and then also the stuff that's just cultural and and somewhat unavoidable i've had clients speak about their experience in the room with therapists where they feel like the assumptions the cultural assumptions are somehow in play you know assumptions about who this black woman is or who this black man is and I, and i found that for myself you know, when I'm, at least when I'm working with folks that are different than me, I'm always trying to do an inventory, a self-assessment, which is, it can be painful because you got to be scathingly honest with yourself inwardly about, you know, what are some of the things that I've absorbed from this culture, which in that sense, I don't feel that guilty because like I didn't make the culture, right? <laughs> like, I'm just in it. And what might be in play inwardly for me? Th mm -hmm. Those are my first thoughts. Yeah. Is yeah, that you would be natural and human and that I felt like it seemed like Ron and Shakir really responded to you as naturally as, as it could be. Explained. Yeah. With Ron, I felt he's 77. He's an African-American man. I, I felt a real big need to to respect him that I think in certain ways it made me a little too timid mm. uh, in terms of, I think I could have pushed him a little bit more. I'll say something like, you know, it sounds like that must be lonely for you. And he mm. says, that, that's not the feeling that I have. Mm. And then I would sort of leave it there. And I think that that was a sort of timidity on my part where what I probably, what I wish I had said was, so what are you feeling? What mm. is that there? What, you know, or maybe not even a feeling question of like, so what, what is there? So that was one observation was that I was a little bit, I thought more timid than I would usually be because of his age, because I don't know a lot about the South. I think I put on a little bit of a kind of stock representation of, well, you have to respect your elder here. 
you know, that um, and I think there's truth to it. I don't think it's a bad way to go. However, I would also, my, my role is to, yeah. is to, is to kind of stay in the middle and really focus on them as the couple, you know, like you said, what's the love between them and how to, how, what kind of growth needs to happen between them mm-hmm. that, um, that I, I feel like I stepped out of role a little bit there. And then it got a little tilted, I thought, because with Shakir, I, I was deferring to Ron, I thought, in certain ways where I should have brought, probably brought him forward more. And then I felt like it got a little bit tilted towards Shakir having to agree to be in a position of just kind of coming and sitting by Ron's side while he's watching TV or whatever. Like I felt like I was sort of, but sort of setting the same thing that I really don't want to set up, which is that she would be in a position to kind of be more subservient to him. It's interesting. I think of a few things. They're in the den, which is Ron's space. It's the kind of man cave of the house, it sounds like. So while I don't like the notion of turf, she she shacks and man caves and all that stuff. I wonder what would it be like if they were doing this from the from a shared space in the house or a common space in the house, you know? I also I also um when you're talking about deferring to Ron. Um, I didn't notice that specifically myself. Actually, I've experienced both of them as having a commanding presence. <laughs> mm-hmm. say, that, say that to to them both, you know. But I also just think of you know rapport, right? Like as as you're getting to know each of them and they're getting to know you, it's gonna continue to feed into the authority with which you're received. I want to go back to what you said about them both being formidable. That was one thing that I really was confusing to me. Is that they seem like pillars of their communities. They seem like they're, you know, well-educated, like they, like they, they have these very, very full lives. So it was a little confusing to me that their marriage seemed, that the things they were f- arguing about seemed so basic compared to how full their lives were. I left the interview feeling like these are two formidable people. How did they get so stuck in this? The interesting thing, though, is that it links to some of my thoughts about how to set them up to be secure functioning, right? Yes. And one of the things that I thought about, interesting to me that you mentioned pillars of their community. I think that Black folks, we are rooted in community often. And so I was wondering about what would it be like for them to intentionally to choose to show up in community function with family, extended family, in faith communities, at dinners, whatever it might be. And I'm not talking about formal dinners and balls or anything like that, but presenting to the outside world as couple intentionally, king and queen in the world, and to to look for opportunities to be that with one another. Maybe that's a sense that I had is that in their time together, there's this way that we just fall into our habitual patterns of being in the home together. And they spoke about it. You're in your space, I'm in mine. And where's the we-ness? And I feel like a lot of the feeling of we comes from being in the world together, right? In public space, I guess. So, mm-hmm. so that was that mm-hmm. was one thought that came for me. The you're on to it. Related to that is the idea of thirds, which is a packed idea about the symbolism of the king and the queen as being first, right? Uh, first, exactly. Being first. Thank you. And that they, that this is a couple who um, has real trouble managing all of the people mm. in their kingdom that Ron's complaint is, I hear you having fun in the room with other people. Mm-hmm, Shakir mm-hmm. says, you seem to have more fun with your 
X than you do. You seem more alive. Mm -hmm. Those are mismanagement of thirds. We have a pact between us that we don't put anyone else above the two of us. Yeah. That nobody messes with us as a, as a couple here. And I think that that would have been, you're talking about top down, which is more sort of a sort of psychoeducation. That would have been a good thing, I think, for me to, as a top down idea, mm-hmm. I think a bottom up. So that's more sort of from the experiential and from the feeling side. Mm-hmm. I think that there was a lot of room for me to start having them look at each other, you know, being the king and queen, just stop here. Let's look, you know, how does the king looking right now? What are you noticing? What do his folded arms say? When the queen, when she has that big reaction, what's happening inside of her? Do you have ideas about that? Do you know what to do about that? How to help her to actually bring them more in the moment, in the experience and be modeling that idea of, you know, that we are, we are sort of an ecosystem, the two of us, and that we, that we provide each other with all of the nutrition and oxygen and everything we need in order to take care of each other. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you're, you're um, calling out a moment. I don't know if you noticed this moment, but I noticed, you know, I was in my notes, I had 29 minutes and 49 seconds, but I noticed um, one time when you had asked, Oh, it's about the bikes. And yeah, mm-hmm. when you mentioned feeling lonely, um, mm-hmm. Ron said no, but, uh, but Shakir like raised her hand and smiled, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think you probably caught it, but I was, I was like, that did Ron see that? Like she was right. like, yes, I feel you know, like I felt like she was like emanating waves of yes, you know, to that moment. So yeah, I really, I really agree with you on that. Um, how are they putting each other first and how are, how are they missing the opportunities to put each other first because mm-hmm. the opportunities are ripe and they're right there. Yeah. Let's play with that moment a little bit. I mean, in the moment, I think I tried, and I think that this was a good session where it demonstrates how, you know, a lot of the things that I would use, which would be pointing them towards each other mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. really focusing moment to moment on each other, cross questioning, mm-hmm. which, you know, is asking about the mind of the other person. Ron, do you notice when Shakir does this, what's going on in her mind? I, as you watch the session, as I, I was less and less able, especially in sort of the middle part, to hold them with those packed interventions. And I started going more directly to one person or started, you know, started taking them more out of the moment. And then as you can see, when you get out of the moment with this couple, there's a lot of water under the bridge here. That was just sort of some of the challenges I had of keeping them in the moment and keeping them talking about sort of what's actually alive and happening in the room. Right. This is that whole piece about they are currently functioning as individual psychological systems, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you asked me about defining the culture in the room, right? I think that that speaks mm. to a lot of it because some couples come in and they're maybe not securely functioning, but there's a lot more of a two-person psychological system. You're, mm-hmm. you're in light speed communication from a nervous system perspective, and you're always picking up on the nonverbal cues of your partner, whether you realize it or not. I feel like that is part of what was happening. And that's why I kind of don't place it. You were saying that you feel like maybe you could have done better with that, but I feel like that's the push pull of the shaping of the culture in the room is that their dynamic is two individuals living in a home. So Uh you're going to feel pushed to dealing with them one-on-one rather than having them turn to each other because that's what they do, right? 
So there's mm-hmm. a dynamic push-pull between that. And so I often feel like I'm having to lean into a headwind or something a bit. You know, uh-huh. back against that. Like, you know, turn to each other. You know, like mm-hmm. I like that linking the shared culture with one person versus two person systems. Maybe we can unpack this a little bit. They're a great example of, of two people who are in a one person system. There isn't a lot of really deep relying on each other. And so the question is, is how do you get them in a room together to start to do more of that real time relying on each other? And that would be the culture that I would hope that we would be able to create where they start to do that. And to me, that's my favorite way is you, we talk about this impact is the play, right? The play. Uh aspect of things. As I was coming into this uh, interview with you, for some reason, I woke up this morning with Dion Warwick in my mind. When is the last time this couple listened to Dion together or, you know, Aretha or whatever? Um, uh-huh. Or when was the last time they danced together? You know, because, um, you know, I think of play loosely, not necessarily as ha 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 play play, the non, maybe even nonverbal, just like light interactions where you're being a couple together, you know, going out for a bike ride together, whatever, whatever it looks like for them, Mm -hmm. the play and then, and doing that in the room too. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea. And for Shakir, there is the layers and layers of, of hurt feelings that come up for her. Yeah. As you start to talk about anything. And, and so it is kind of the same knot that I'm, that I'm really trying to, that I've been thinking a lot about with them is if you just have her dance with him, which I I know you're not just saying is like, okay, just dance with him and the magic will start to happen. That it's really in the small moment where the work gets done on the relationship. How do you help her to engage in ways that don't trip up all of the feelings of the trauma that's been accrued over time? You can't just wash that away. It has to be part of the thinking here. And that's where I kind of go to the nonverbal, the nonverbal stuff. What, what do you mean by that, though? What, how do you how do you think about the nonverbal stuff there? I'm bringing this other couple up because you mentioned water under the bridge, and there's this is a couple that have been together about 15 years. A lot of hurt feelings over time, many years, and so it really did come out where when he moved closer to her, there is a closing and sadness that comes up that speaks mm. to that pain, and for that to come up non-verbally, right? It was powerful because I think, I, again, kind of going to that, what happens in the home together as a couple and the habitual patterns and the shutting down that can happen where we don't see or witness or experience the other person's inner life, it makes it so visible for the other person what's really happening here, mm-hmm. revealing to the other person without words, what's going on for them. And maybe some of the sense of urgency of tending to our my partner. Right. And when you notice that brush by in the hallway as something other than just, oh, we're just, you know, two ships passing in the night, but no, there's mm-hmm. a whole history of feelings that are there and the, the body sensations that happen, the memories. I mean, it's all happening. And to slow that down and the possibility of Ron and here being able to think together about what those interactions mean for both mm-hmm. of them. I think that is the path. So much goes underground and out of conscious awareness when we're together for so long. In terms of race and intergenerational trauma, how important do you think it is to, to bring up history, you know, the history of this country and their family history? Do you generally wait for the couple to bring it up? How much do you bring that up and when do you bring it up? It's interesting because the timing piece, I don't make a rule of when it comes up. 
beginning, middle, or end. I, I let it surface naturally, but I do find myself thinking a lot about that with regards to to this couple, but also the, the other couples I work with. Because if you're looking at the the literature and research around Black folks in this country and the historical trauma, there's this this notion of racial battle fatigue because of the the constant uphill swim against the stereotypes and the the discrimination the day-to-day, all the microaggressions, all that stuff mm-hmm. can create armoring for both women and men. We talk in that literature about the superwoman phenomenon, mm-hmm. which I think happens for all women to some degree, but I, with Black women too, there's there's a sense of if I'm hurt and I need to share that with my partner, I sometimes get trapped in this, either I'm being too logical or too emotional or whatever it is. Here I am having to deal with this stuff every day with our children, with, with the world outside and the things that I'm experiencing at work for me. Men, it's the John Henryism thing, right? It doesn't matter. The weight of the world is on your shoulders and you just have to mm-hmm. cope. And you, mm-hmm. you kind of, and so both folks can become a little bit hardened, leathery, mm-hmm. <laughs> emotional exterior. And so I think of that often when I'm working with Black couples, African American couples. And the reason that I think of it is because the home then becomes in a, it's a sanctuary for anybody of any race, I think. But I, I feel like for Black folks in this country, with our history in this country, not only is it sanctuary, but it becomes a place where we can consciously choose to not be the way we're scripted, you know, the, the way we have to show up out there, putting on that tougher exterior, right? We, I think we get a little bit caught up in carrying the ways we have to be in public into private, but private becomes the space, the home becomes the sanctuary where we can consciously choose to take off that racial battle armor, so to speak. Mm. Mm -hmm. speak from the pack perspective, right? Especially with our partners, right? We can get out of the foxhole when we come home and come come into the, if I'm going to continue the military analogy, Uh come into the mess hall together instead and just like hang out and and, and take, um, put down our weapons, put down our armor Uh and be cozy with each other in a way that we don't get to be as we're dealing with. So I try to talk with my couples about that and to, to be aware more of you know, what do we, what do we consciously want? Again, that defining culture, right? But in this mm-hmm. specific to, to black families, um, culture, do we want in our home as opposed to what's happening out there and how we feel about out there? To me, both personally and with the couples I work with, how much that feels true, the being in the foxhole together. So many forces are arrayed against us as black folks. I was just watching a, a Christian Amanpour seen an interview with this woman who, uh, well, Christian didn't interview her, a different woman did, but with a woman that was talking about a, a specialist in the tax code. She's a lawyer for like decades and was saying how the tax code is arranged in a, in a negative way for black mm-hmm. couples, married couples. The tax code does disadvantages them compared to white couples. And and so, so just like, you know, that whole systemic thing. So I really feel that 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 analogy of being in the foxhole actually goes a long way to explaining what it's like for black couples in the world together mm-hmm. and how much we might want to reconsider how we are in our space, our private space with each other. With Ron and Shakira, I didn't get much history. I, I like to let things unfold a little bit more naturally when it comes to history taking. Um, I like to kind of link, oh, you know, you never mentioned your sister, you know, and then try to kind of fill in the gaps as I go along. But I did feel somewhat at a disadvantage in my talk with Ron and Shakir in not being able to reference anything from history, you know, um, 
you know, not being able to say, oh, I wonder if that feeling of feeling alone, which uh, I didn't really have buy-in on, or that feeling of feeling concerned, if you have been concerned about other people. But um, but I didn't have the, the point being that I didn't have any history really to reference with them. Over time, that will be very helpful for me to have a better sense of reference points that have deep significance for them and that show up again with them in their couple. And so we're talking about sort of the attachment system and how the attachment system was formed long before these two got together. And now that they're together, the attachment system comes alive because they're deep family. They rely deeply on each other. I'm also familiar with that. Sometimes I don't do that history taking right mm -hmm. away. So I, I like to let it play out a bit and see what's right there in front of my eyes before I start to go into that sometimes too. Depends on the couple and how I'm feeling as I approach as I approach them, so to speak, you know, whether I do, sometimes I do it up front and right away, but, but other times I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And me I, too. I would say that's how I am too, that, that I do let it unfold naturally, but there are certain times where it's like, whoa, I just, I, I'm having too much trouble here or I, there needs, I need an anchor. And so I'll go right for it, you know, um, an anchor point. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm like you in that way. Partly for me, it, it feels like it depends on how much they're sharing in general. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, for me, from a group dynamic perspective is a, is a function of rapport building between me and them and the comfort level they have with me as we go forward. When it's feeling like a real comfortable connection with the couple and, and, it, and it just flows, I'll often, I think I often start out with the PAI, but if not, then I, I just allow myself to really let everybody become comfortable together first <laughs> before, mm -hmm. before diving into that. Yeah. Great. Do you, do you have any notes, additional notes for me or things you wanted to tell me about, ask me about? I'm conscious of not wanting to make assumptions about anybody. However, perhaps touched on this earlier, but I sometimes think in terms of, you know, the, the kind of really the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of our work, you know, in terms of transference and counter-transference and, you know, what the, what the couple might be feeling towards the therapist, but, and I don't, I'm conscious too. I don't want to make trouble for you, <laughs> Jeez. Okay, well. but um, kind of getting back to this notion of that I've heard for black folks and black couples in the room with white therapists is uh, the transference. And sometimes I wonder, are folks feeling like they have to be a peer put together here mm -hmm. or peer proper or or anything like that because we talk a lot about pact impact right of <laughs> uh, allow our couples to be the broadest range of how they're going to be and you know I, I know I've had couples in my in my room where they're they're going at it they're they're like I remember being um, at the office one time before the pandemic and and we had a group going upstairs and in their session, we were hot. It was hot. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? The facilitator upstairs afterwards was like, they, they weren't worried or anything like that, but it was like, oh no, I had to tell them, no, they were just, you know, they were just like having an argument together. So in a way, again, like I say, I don't want to make trouble for you, Jason, but I want to Ron and Shakir, if they're feeling any sense of hesitancy about letting it all hang out, I want to invite them to, yeah. right? Cause because we're trained to work with that, right? We 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 can we can handle that, I think. So yeah, that's that was a thought I had is wondering about how they're feeling in this space. Yeah, I think that's I think that's valuable. And wanting them to feel more comfortable in, as you say, letting things hang out. And then at the same time, I have to say, I did also wanted them to be 
well-behaved, as much as I hate to admit that, around thinking about taking care of each other. You know, I want, I, so I felt a tension, um, a weird tension inside of myself, oh, wanting them to say, I, I just want to say, come on guys, like stop, stop adding hurt on top of hurt here. Let's, let's focus on being in the moment. Let's focus on you guys have to learn how to care for each other. Like I wanted them to be good in yeah. quote unquote, good in that sense. And I wanted them to be themselves. And so that's a tension that I was really trying to hold while the session was going on. That's a tension that I feel often, but I feel that tension too. And, and, a, and a kind of a longing to, oh no, don't you see she, he, you right. know, don't you see, like, it's all this, this ow, it's all this ow. Exactly. Like, Hold the owl, right? Sometimes in my work with couples, I, you know, we talk about the triune brain, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the reptile and the mammal and the human being brain and all that stuff. And I'm like, you know, it's the puppy dog. Like if 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 you if you're if you were with a little puppy that just got scared, got scared out of its wits and it's shivering, you would pick it up and you would hold it close to you and pet it. And you know what I mean? Like right. that's what's happening right now. Do that, do something about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. And just talk about the other side of it, which is you want to give people permission to feel like they can be themselves in the space. I feel like it's important because if, if a couple can't be real with each other, I'm thinking of that couple that I just mentioned about, you know, where it got hot, that, that heat and that, I'm not saying that a couple needs to fight. There's also the couples that are that are more or less hot, right? And cool. Mm-hmm. And so that's fine. However they are is fine. But disagreement is is actually more intimate. Like like visible disagreement is actually more intimate than silence and distance. There's a quote that I always use in my work. Uh, it's actually from a South American shaman, but, but you know, he says, uh, you know, violence is the absence of conflict. So the absence mm-hmm. of conflict leads to trouble, like big mm-hmm. trouble. So right. I'd rather, I'd rather a couple be, be at it in the space and, and going back and forth in a way that might even feel uncomfortable for, for me, I can regulate that for myself. That's what I'm called to do in this work. Um, uh-huh. But I'd rather see them doing that than, than not, you know? Yeah, exactly. And Ron said that thing about, you know, it's not like we have conflict or anything. And I actually thought it might be good if there was conflict here, that in order to break up the the scar tissue that's here, there's going to have to be a way to confront some things and to have some conflict in, in ways that that kind of galvanizes the the relationship. Yeah, energizes. I like that word galvanized too, because it's hard to have trust without authenticity. And sometimes upset is the most authentic thing we have with mm. regards to a particular moment in the moment, if it's happening right now, or, you know, thinking about the past or bringing up past things, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I feel like sometimes couples are shy to go there, you know, conflict avoidance, whatever you want to call it, but it's more comfortable, you know, that current state, you know, I think Hans talks about this living, living side by side together rather than woven together, you know, that's more mm-hmm. comfortable than going into the discomfort, even though that discomfort, sorry, I have a lot of training coming back of my group work training is you move through conflict into intimacy. That's how you get to intimacy is by resolving conflict, but you've got to be willing to go through it and into it to get there. And it, it doesn't have to be hurtful or harmful. It just has to be skillful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like all that. And I think we should start wrapping up. There's one idea that really just tagged in my mind to return back to. 
I loved when you said confers dignity for this couple in particular, to create a culture that confers dignity on them as a couple. And they start to sort of be in that together. I I really, really like that idea. Mm -hmm. Anything just to add on that? Uh, Not necessarily. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. I I just sort of sprung it at you. So so no worries. I just feel like it's crucial, you know, and Mm -hmm. an element that really wanting to normalize everybody's experience, each of the couples that I'm in there with is we're all human beings here. And, you know, your your desire to, to protect yourself and to to want to be closer to not the not knowing how to be closer all of that is such a it's it's a, the human condition right mm. well john this has been wonderful i just there's an ease talking to you and um and a sense of just ideas sort of sparking up and getting very exciting in my mind as we talk so i really appreciate your time and your your thinking about ron and shakir yeah thank you for inviting me all right bye bye Hey, thank you so much for listening. And thanks for John Guy for being a part of the podcast. Thank you to Margaret Martin for her production help. And thank you to Ron and Shakir, of course, for all of their contributions. So join me in a couple weeks. We'll be continuing to ask this question. How does a couples therapist learn to do that? I'm Jason Brand. This is Human Nurture, and I'm out of here.